guys, uh, you guys ever played this game? I'm not very good at it. Um, that's why I don't play it a whole lot. But Monopoly is the game where you buy, sell, dream, and scheme. Because this is the updated version, Wall Street version here. But the, the goal is to build your, your little empire, to build your kingdom. You, you get to select your piece. They've updated them. You now have a rubber ducky. You've got a dinosaur. Um, and so you, you pick your little piece, and the whole purpose is to build your kingdom and to bankrupt everybody else on the board. Now, I got a friend of mine um, named Michael, and, and Michael, he and I work together, and uh, we, we help consult churches for church growth. And he plays Monopoly, but he is ruthless, like loves to make his children cry, like will take all of their money, send them to jail. Even at the end of it, he takes their pieces. And when all is said and done, Michael's got apps out. He's got spreadsheets out. He's got everything that he possibly can to dominate in this game. But here's the problem that Michael said he's noticed. After he dominates everybody and bankrupts everybody around the board and his kingdom is built, you know what happens? His kingdom goes right back into the box and is sealed and is put away for another day. Isn't that the truth about us? Like, we're trying to play this game of life and monopoly in this part. And we're not really trying to bankrupt each other, but we are trying to resource our private little kingdoms. Trying to attain and get as much as we want, chasing the dream. We, we want to we be able to buy, we want to be able to sell, we want to be able to dream. And if you want to be able to scheme, we will offer you a chance to have repentance today. But the goal is, is that we want to build our kingdoms and we want to get around and we want to have all these things. But at the end of the day, when we take our last breaths... It all goes back into the box, and it's all done. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't last. And when we, we look at things like Monopoly, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't last. Things in life, they do not last. And we used to say that you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer, but recently on uh, Google Images, there is a picture of a hearse that pulls a U-Haul trailer, so we can't say that anymore. But what I will say is your, your things do not go with us. Our investments, the things that we have. You know, today we're going to talk about a subject that some of you are going to get uptight with. So if this is your first time, I want to I just want to give you some disclaimer here. Um, we're about three years old of churches uh, in, a ch in our church uh, age here. And so we have been coming here for, you know, 52 Sundays a year, right? And I've preached a lot of those. So I've preached over 100 times here. And let's just say, let's just say 150 times I've preached in, in, in this context here at Together Church. I went back and looked. Out of the 150 times that I have spoken, I've only talked two times on the subject of money. So if you're here today and you're like, oh, every time I go to church, it's about money. This is only the third time that I've done this. So maybe God's trying to tell you something. I don't know. But today we're going to talk about money. But I want you to go ahead and loosen up because some of you got so tight. You grabbed your wallets. You've checked your purse. You're looking around the room to see if we got card readers and ATM machines. Chill out for just a second, okay? I'm not coming after your pocket today. There will be no special offering. We've already had our offering. Not coming after a special offering. There's not a capital campaign. And, and there's not going to be a, hey, support this and give to this thing. Today, the Holy Spirit's coming after your heart. Because I think that you're going to learn something today on the subject of money 
that's going to let you take a breath. Some of you have been taught some really bad principles biblically on money. You with me? Can you bear with me and hang with me for just the next few minutes and let me free your minds and help you understand money when it comes to the kingdom of God? We talked last week that there are two kingdoms. Whether you, you believe it or not, there's a, a kingdom of heaven, which we're ushering in. This is why when we pray, Jesus said, when you pray, thy kingdom come. We want Jesus' kingdom to be here on earth as it is in heaven. But we also are coming up against the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the air, the kingdom that is of this world, which is the kingdom that the enemy has put in. We, we are in a stage of rebellion. It's all-out rebellion. And the quote that we used last week from C.S. Lewis says that we are, we are in a territory that the enemy has tried to take, but God is coming to take back his territory using his people to build his kingdom here on earth. Okay? And that's what we're doing. So why are we talking about money? Because Jesus did. Okay? That's a pretty good reason to start. But let me, let me blow your mind. How many times have I spoken on money here at the church? Let's see if you're paying attention. Third time. You are really good with numbers. It's a good book of the Bible, too. So today, when we look at Jesus and Jesus preached on money, did you know that 40% of Jesus' sermons were about money? 40%. So either I'm not doing a very good job teaching or Jesus is just setting a really high bar. Did you know that one in ten verses in the scriptures, in the gospels, one in ten verses in the gospels deal directly with money? One out of every ten. Now, now, why do we talk about it so much? Why does, why does Jesus speak about it 40% of the time and then one out of ten verses in the gospel? Because I think that money is the ultimate competitor for our hearts. Because we will chase a dollar. We will do anything that we can to build our kingdoms because remember the thing that got this whole kingdom of darkness in here in the first place was our rebellion against God of saying that hey we believe that God wants to bless and God wants to bless us in a way not in a prosperity gospel way but his presence is the blessing and anything that happens off of that is just a byproduct of his goodness amen you, you owe me there so Money is the number one competitor of the heart. And so if it's the number one competitor, we cannot, as Christ's followers, we cannot do money the way the world does and be a follower of Jesus. So we've got to understand from a scriptural standpoint, how do we do money? What, what does the Bible say in this kingdom? Because if we're going to usher in his kingdom, it starts in our heart. And if our money is tied to that, then we need to figure it out. Let me give you a couple of reasons why doing money the way that the kingdom does does not work. The national debt, average consumer debt in the United States is $150,000 per person. That's $15 trillion in debt. Okay? Anybody want to buy out? In 2021, consumer debt, in 2021, remember all these jobs that were lost, the pandemic stuff still going down? In the middle of that, in 2021, consumer debt went up 7% in this, the economy, 7% increase. Spending money that we didn't have, just whatever we get, and now some of you got your tax bills back, and you're like, oh, oh we got to pay that tax back. The average credit card debt in the United States is $6,000. The average person is two paychecks away from being bankrupt. Average student loan debt is $60,000, and some of you are going, whoa, where did they borrow that money from? Because mine seems to be a lot more. Average student debt, $60,000. Did you know that every single survey when Americans are asked what is their worst fear, what bothers them, what keeps them up at night, you know what their number one answer is? Money. Is money. 
And as our earning increases, listen to this statistic. As our earning increases, the likelihood of suicide increases. Right? The myth is this. If I had more money, I would be happier. Statistically, that is true up until you start making a combined income of $75,000, and then it's not enough. So would you agree with me, just on the statistics that aren't church statistics, they're from the economists, from the people that know what they're talking about, would you agree with me that doing money, the way that the kingdom of, of the earth is doing it, is not the way to do money? It is getting us in holes. Listen, if you, if you have $150,000 in debt and you're tied to a $60,000 student loan, where is, where is the room for generosity in the kingdom? It's the wrong kingdom. Because all the investment has been made into your kingdom. Americans will say that they feel very generous. This is another stat that we found. Americans say they feel very generous. They don't, but they don't feel rich, but they feel generous. Okay? But yet the average American gives less than 1% to charity. That's $737 a year. But most Americans say, if I just had 20% more income, I would be happy. And it's a lie. So the Bible gives us a lot of warnings about money, especially when it comes to the love of money. And you guys have probably heard people misquote this, that money is the root of what? Go tell them to read their Bible. They're reading the wrong verse. That's not at all what it says. Because look at, look at here in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, Timothy's writing to a young pastor. And he says this, for the, you ready for this word that we leave out? For the what? Love of money. The love of money is a, a that's another key word that people leave out. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is not the root, it is a root. There's a lot of evil we're going to talk about in this series. And it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Here's what he's saying. It, it, was, the, it was the love of money chasing the dollar that when you chase the dollar, you wander away from the Savior. And then you will find yourself spiritually bankrupt. And I will tell you this. I would much rather be financially bankrupt than spiritually bankrupt than without Jesus. And so we're chasing the wrong things. Timothy would say it this way. Money makes a good tool, but it makes a terrible God. Money's not a bad thing. We need it, right? Makes the world go round, literally. We need money. But when it becomes a God... It will 100% all the time, every time, consistently let you down. Because you will put your hope, you will put your trust, you will put your faith into something other than God. You and I, and we learned this last weekend from reading the book of Genesis, you and I have been called to be image bearers of a God that is a God that loves us, so we've been called to image bear him, we've been called to love him, and we've been called to use our money. But often, we love money, and we use God for our love of money. He always becomes a means to the end. If I do this, I'll just insert God here. If I have politics and insert God here, I can get what I want politically. If I insert God, I can get what I want financially. Rather than saying God is the end point, he is the end all, tell all. And, and our goal is to get to him, and, and, and by the way, it's not just us getting to him, it says that he seeks and he finds us. So it's a movement on both ends. 
Hebrews says this, and it's talking again about being very careful with your love of money, but it says, keep your life free from the love of money. The writer of Hebrews says, keep your life free from the love of it and be content with what you have. Oh gosh, that's hard, isn't it? Guys, you go to Home Depot, you go to Lowe's, you know what I mean? Like the drill's good, but the new one that's sitting on the shelf just seems to be a lot better. And, can, and for you young guys in the room, let me give you a piece of advice. Never, ever start a home project that doesn't require a new tool. Can I get an amen from the guest? Thank you. Be content with what you have, he says. I will never leave nor forsake you so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. Not money, not resources. The Lord is my helper. And because he is my helper, I will not fear. I will not worry about the other things that are, that, are, that are in my mind. You won't have to because you're not chasing the wrong things. You have found satisfaction in the relationship with Jesus. So he says, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Absolutely nothing. What kind of confidence is that? Because when I stand strong in the faith and have a relationship with the Father, and the Father is the thing. He is the end all tell all. I don't have to worry about anything else. There's nothing that can come up against me that will make me sway and move away and take away from what it is that God can give me. Because again, we, we've talked through the whole Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes was nothing more than every single one of them was a nail to the death of self, of pushing us back towards Jesus, finding satisfaction in Jesus, finding that the blessing is in Jesus and everything else, again, is a byproduct. In 2 Corinthians, Paul would say this to the church that was so corrupt. He said, each one must give as he has already, already decided in his heart. Don't give reluctantly, don't give under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. As your pastor, I do not want you to give because you feel like you have to. We do not serve a God that puts a burden on your shoulder. He said, my burden is light. You don't have to give. You need to hear Jesus' voice. So don't feel like when the offering plate comes around, i got to throw something in there. He says, don't do that already have in your heart what you're going to do pray about it ask him for it don't tip because he says there's a danger there's a danger in that make your decision before you get here of what it is that God has called you to do so in Matthew chapter 6 back to the Sermon on the Mount you know we've looked at all of chapter 5 and this is where we're going to hang out today but in this passage Jesus talks about the two kingdoms talks about the kingdom of the air, the kingdom of darkness, and how they impact us. And he says this in verse 19. Do not lay yourselves for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust will destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus says everything is temporary. Everything that you have is temporary. You know, all of your things, when you die and they go back in the box, our kids are just going to turn around and give them away and sell it. It's going to be down at the Goodwill, right? You know those golf clubs you bought that made you swing better? But you never got better at golf. But somebody's going to get your golf clubs, they're going to hit a golf ball better. All that hunting gear that you bought because you want to be a better hunter, but you still didn't become a better hunter. Somebody who has zero experience hunting is going to buy every piece of that hunting gear, and they're going to kill, kill like the biggest buck you've ever seen. So it's going to happen. Because our stuff is temporary. It's temporary. So every earthly thing is temporary. Everything that you've been given, Francis Chan says this, that everything that you've been, you've been given will either bring a regret or a reward. One of the two. Everything that we have will either be a regret or a reward. And, and, I, and I heard it said like this, and this is not me, but I'll, I'll say it. 
The reality is the phone won't connect you, your bank account won't protect you, new clubs won't help you with your swing, and a new app will not help you find a man with a ring. Can I get an amen? Chasing the wrong things. Chasing the wrong things. This is why he says in Luke, and he said to them, take care, be on, this is important, take care and be on guard. Why do I need to be on guard? Why am I on guard? Because there's a kingdom of darkness out there. Whether you believe it or not, there's a kingdom of darkness that's coming up against you, that wants to attack you, that wants to have everything it can to keep you and separate you from God so that the rebellion will continue. And he says, so be on guard against all covenants. Don't don't be covenant. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Your identity is not found in what you have. Your identity is found in who you have. He says, and he told them a parable saying this, that the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, because see, part of the love for money starts here in the soul. And you got to command your soul and tell your soul what's going to happen and what you need to do. And he says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. You relax, you eat, you drink, and you be merry. But God said to him, fool, that doesn't happen a whole lot in the Bible. But this is Mr. T impersonation of I pity the fool. And 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 that's just not something you want God to say to you like son, uh, my beloved, my child. Those are things that you want God to say. But when he says fool, it's a whole different ballgame, is it not? And he says, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose they will be. So so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Sum that up this way. As the kingdom of God calls us to be rich towards God. And the kingdom of the air calls us to be rich towards me. Towards me. I mean, are we rich towards God? Are we rich towards us? If we broke this verse down into modern terms, what he would be talking about here is, I'm going to tear down the current storage building that I have, and I'm going to get a bigger storage building. Have you all noticed how many storage buildings that we have in Monk's Corner by itself? You need to store stuff. Did you know that right now in America there are 49,233 storage facilities? That's not counting our garages, by the way. 2.3 billion square foot of storage space in America. If you break that down, that means every man, woman, and child in the U.S. has 7.3 square feet of storage space. And we keep building more. And if you have a bunch of stuff in storage that you've not seen in over a year, can I just tell you, after today's service, go grab it and sell it. Get rid of it. And if you own one of these storage facilities, don't forget the tithe. But he says, if you do not lay up yourself treasures in heaven, or treasures on earth, do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in. He says, these two kingdoms were pouring so much into a temporary kingdom that we're just putting it all back in the box at the end. It just it, it, it is gone. So again, in 1 Timothy 6, I know there's a lot of scripture, but I want you to understand there's a lot of scripture about this topic. 
He says, as for the rich in this present age, Timothy is talking to this young pastor that he's training, and he's saying there's two audiences that you'll always teach. You'll always teach to the rich, and you'll always teach to the poor. And he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them to be haughty, not set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. How many of you have learned that we cannot depend on income because all it takes is a pandemic, all it takes is a hurricane, all it takes is one little event, one trip to the hospital, one tire to blow out on your car, and the uncertainty of income goes away. Anybody? One person. Thank you. Thank you. But I want you to see something in this verse. Because I've heard pastor after pastor preach on money. I felt convicted. I felt like maybe I wasn't doing enough. I felt like where my wallet go. I felt like all these things. But, but there's a verse that they always miss. And I want to read this, and I want you to take it for what it is. And I want us to say it out loud when we get to it, okay? Because I think this is going to bring some hope and change your perspective, your theological perspective on money. We ready? Thank you. He says this. Don't put your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Oh, where'd that word come from? You ever heard that? Did you know that God wants you to enjoy the riches that you have? You should not feel guilty for the things that you have. God has given you those things to enjoy. To enjoy. He says they are to do good. So the things that you enjoy, by the way, there's this caveat to it. They are to do good. And you need to be rich, rich in your good works and to be generous and ready to share. So if you have a boat. Matter of fact, after service, if you have a boat, could you let people at the welcome desk know we have a disciple group that we would like to start? It's called Studies in the Sea of Lake. Yeah, we'll just do it in our lake. Just disguise it as Galilee. Um, you're to do good, be rich in good works, be generous, ready to share. Thus storing up treasures for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. He's saying this, who's rich? You may be saying, well, I'm not rich. Can I tell you? You are rich. If your car has a place to live, you're rich. If your clothes have a place, a closet to stay in, the clothes that you're going to wear tomorrow, you're rich. If, if you have a closet that your clothes that you want to be able to wear again one day have a place to live, you're rich. Like, we, we want to say that, well, I don't have this and I don't have that. We are rich. If you make a combined household income of $35,000, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the U.S. Or in the world. You're rich. All 100% of our riches are given to us to enjoy and to glorify God. That's what he says. So when you begin to trust God with everything, that's the more that you'll be able to enjoy what he's given you. Right? So the things that you have when you're like, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this verse and I'm going to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steward this well. I'm going to learn to be generous with it. I'm going to learn to share with it. You know, you need, you need a, a, a smoker and you want to smoke some meat. Here, take it. I'm going to be generous and share with it because the more, the closer I get to God, I realize that God is a giving God. He's always the one that has gone first. And so he wants us to enjoy. Christians should enjoy this life more than anybody else. But we walk around with our heads down. And we're the most rich, spiritually, but we miss it because we have allowed ourselves to identify with the kingdom of the world. So he says, if you want to store up treasures in heaven, 
You bring your first fruits. You bring the first fruits. We get this principle back from, from the book of Genesis. And he says, you bring your first fruits. You bring God your first and your best. And watch what he does with those things. You save some. Okay, that's important. You save some. You spend the rest for the glory of God. Some of you, you need to sell some things to get out of debt so that you can be generous. Some of you, you need to go ahead and buy that bigger vehicle, that bigger house to be used for the glory of God. If he tells you to. Don't just go out and buy it like, oh, pastor just told me I can go buy a big house. It's not what I said. That's between you, the Holy Spirit, and your spouse. And is it going to bring glory? Because a lot of times we want to go buy the bigger house because we have these ambitions. I'm going to bring all these people in my house. We're going to use it as a place to disciple, and we're going to use it as a place to, to fellowship. And then you buy the bigger house, and you're like, I don't think I want anybody in my house. They're going to scuff my floors. They're going to mess my paint up. And I don't want the kids over here because they're going to get macaroni and cheese all over the place. We use the things that we have, the resources we have to bring glory to God. They're his. Your house is his. Your car is his. Your shoes are his. Your socks are his. You don't want your underwear. Everything else is his. And can I tell you, the Holy Spirit will answer those questions of what I need to do with my resources. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just the preacher here. So I can't tell you what to do with those resources or what you need to do. But what I can do is point you to the one that will. And he will teach you how to do it right. We bring our first fruits. We bring our first and our best. You know what the only thing is that we can take to heaven? People. People don't go back in the box. They do go in a box. But people don't go in a box. You know what Jesus talks about? investing in the kingdom it's investing in his people in his church why, why are we not so concerned about taking as many people as we can to the banquet table in heaven because we're chasing the wrong things and the only thing that you and i can take to heaven is people so we need to leverage everything that we've been given to minister to the needs of people to point them to jesus so that they have a seat at the banquet table of Jesus. And sometimes the way that we invest in people are the very things that God has given you to enjoy, to use, and to glorify for Him. In all seriousness, it might be the boat. It, it might be sitting at your table having a meal. Maybe God's gifted you with being an incredible cook. Maybe it's having people over and speaking to them and investing in their lives. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6 in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, for where your treasure is, anybody want to finish that? Where your treasure is, he didn't say where your heart is your treasure is. We get that thing backwards. He says, wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Most people think that where your heart is, your treasure is your heart. Your heart will follow. Can, can I tell you that where your treasure is, your heart will follow. Here's, here's a great illustration. Of that. Dylan, you got a wallet. I'm not going to take anything out of your wallet. Can't hold it. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Put it right in my back pocket. Ties goes up today. Now, I got Dylan's wallet. And I'm going to preach the rest of my sermon. And after my sermon, I'm going to get off the stage, and I've got somewhere i got to be, so I'm going to get my car, and I'm going to leave. Now, what do you think Dylan's going to do? You know where Robbie went? 
because that dude has my treasure in his back pocket. Right? Because where, where his treasure goes, his heart, his heart follows. Now, if I opened his wallet and started pulling dollar bills and stuff out, which he probably $100 bills, if I started pulling the $100 bills out and put it in my pocket, do you, what do you think he's thinking about right now? You know, guys, you ever lost one of these? Where's your heart at? Your heart's everywhere. I'm going to give this back because I do not want you following me around because I will, I will lose it and then our friendship will be gone. Where, where your heart is is where your treasure, your treasure will go. And so Jesus is saying, listen, you want to know where your heart is, where's your treasure? Where do you spend your time? How do you use your talents? What's your checkbook look like? Because it'll tell you, won't it? It'll tell you what it is. And so he says that if you want to lay up your treasure, if you want to, if you want to put your treasure and you want to put your investments in the right place, invest in people, okay? And then worship God with your first fruits. That's how we store up treasure. We worship God with our first fruits. The best way to worship God with your finances is by first fruit giving. We call it tithing and it's 10%. We give 10%. Sometimes it's 12%. I know some of you here, you give, you give way more than 10%. Always giving, always looking for a way to utilize your resources. I know people here that have side businesses, and they take their side businesses, and they'll hear things about Jamaica, and they're like, hey, we want to support, boom, we want to scholarship this, we want to give, our business wants to tithe on top of what we've done personally. We want to use our talents, and we want to go help do this, we want to go help do that. It's bringing your first fruits, it's giving God your first and your best and it's not you're not giving because you have to and you're not giving because it's, it's something that people are going to look at and you're going to be judged if you don't do it we give because God gave first he gave his son first and when we when we bring God our first and our best it, it, it puts us in this rhythm of always giving back to him what he deserves always showing him honor it's always Saying, God, I'm putting, I'm putting my heart into this to make the investment into the kingdom because people are your kingdom. They are, they are the people that we're trying to reach that are lost. So one, one thing, to get in rhythm and responding back, one way to do that is like you, you can like financially give into a church. You can automate it, give and, and have an automation that your money just gets taken out and you just give to the church. That's, a, that's an important piece. Because it's, it's, putting, it's making decisions ahead of time. If you pre-decide, what are you going to do with your time? I was meeting with a college freshman. He's going to college for the first time. He says, I don't, what, what do you, what's the biggest advice you can say? I said, one of the things that I wish I would have known going to college was being able to pre-decide what I was going to do with my time before I got to college. Because what I decided to do with my time in the moment helped me predecide that I'm going to be on academic probation next semester. Predeciding. What are you going to do? How are you going to predecide what you're going to do with your money? How are you going to predecide what you're going to do with your time and the resources that God wants you to enjoy and glorify Him? You've got to predecide. We worship God with our first fruits. We predecide that I'm going to bring my first and my best. So more money, money is not the cure. It's one, on, it's one of the outside indicators of the heart. 
of, of where our relationship is with Jesus. He wants your heart, not your money. Did you hear that? Because wherever your heart is, your treasure will follow. He says this in Matthew chapter 6, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And this is his example. You cannot serve God and money. One of them is your king. One of them is your savior. One of them is your provider. Who is it going to be? But you can't serve both because you're going to love one, hate the other. Love one, despise the other. You can't have two kings sitting on the throne. You've got to choose. You've got to pre-decide now who's on the throne. So God wants you to be in a place to where you can tell your resources, your money, your time, that you tell those things what to do so that you can glorify God. He says in Ecclesiastes, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth will, uh, with his income. This is also vanity. In other words, it's going right back into the box. So Jesus says this in Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Remember, we live in a culture that is so anxious. And they say that one of the biggest worries is finances. Don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about what you will eat or what you will drink. And not your body. Not what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. So here, Jesus, Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to two groups of people here. And it's, by the way, it's important that you save. Savings, don't take all your money and just spend it and blow it. It's important. Because in Proverbs, he said, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But the sinner's uh, wealth is laid up on the righteous. Let me, let me get ready to close down here. In, in this last part of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is speaking in verse 26, he's talking to two groups of people. He's talking to the spenders and the savers. Who are my savers? Who likes to save? Come on, hands raised. Who's, who's our savers? All right. These are the people that take the fun out of everything. Who, who are the spenders? All right. There's some conflict because I'm seeing some spender-savers, uh, husband-wife combos here. So we'd love to talk to you later. But look at what Jesus is going to talk to the spenders and the savers. Look what he says. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. They don't worry about anything, and they're taken care of. Are you not more valuable than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? He's talking to the savers. Like, you want to keep everything and hoard everything. Now he's going to talk to the spenders. And why are you anxious about clothing? Why do you feel like you need more? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, <laughs> it goes back in the box. He says, will he not much more clothe you? Are you a little faith? He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink and what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. This was a direct, like, get your attention to the Jewish people in the audience. He was saying, you... For the Gentiles seek after these things. In other words, some of you are spending money like you don't believe in God. That's what he was telling them. And he says, and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first, it's important, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Now, if all you hear me talking about 
is money. We missed it. We missed it. Because the point is not money. It's more than that. There's only one time in Scripture where Jesus takes up money and takes up an offering. Did y'all know that? Only one time. He does it in Matthew 22, and he takes it up for tax reasons. And he says this. The Pharisees went and they plotted how to entangle him in his words. They're trying to get rid of Jesus. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. And they're saying, teacher, we know that you're true and that you teach, you teach the way of God truthfully. They're trying to sugarcoat it. And we know that you, do not, that you do not care about anyone's opinions. For you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar? Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice and knew exactly what they were doing, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? You show me the coin for the tax. He said, you show me, you show me the coin for the tax. Because see, what they're trying to do is like, where, where we got to give our money, Jesus? What are we supposed to be doing? Do we give it to Caesar? Because if he says don't give it to Caesar, they're going to put Jesus to death. And he says, listen, why are you trying to do this to me? What do you do with the coin? He said. And Jesus showed them the coin. And they said they brought him a denarius. This is a, not a denarius. And they said, Jesus said to them, whose likeness and in inscription is on this coin? It was Caesar. It was the, the insignia of Rome and, and Caesar's head. They, the, the Jewish people saw it as egotistical that you would put your image onto a coin. Because the only image that you should be making is that of God. But Caesar has put his image on the coin. They want to know who we pay the tax. And Jesus turns this whole thing around. He says, listen, whose image is on here? They said Caesar's. And a lot of people like to misuse this verse about certain separation of church and state. But hear me out. And he says this. They said the whole likeness and description is this. They said, this is Caesar. And then he said to them, then you give to Caesar, you give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and you give to God what is God's. That coin may bear the image of Caesar, but you bear the image of your father. That's what Jesus wants, not your money. You are an image bearer of the king. In a crooked and deprived generation, we are image bearers of our king. So he says, render to Caesars the thing that belonged to Caesars. Give it all to him. And you give to God the things that are God. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left and they went away. He said that you can use money the way it's supposed to be used, but don't be used by money. Don't get tied up in the money. You can't serve two masters. So when you try and serve two masters, you're going to be ripped apart. Give God you, because you are the image bearer. And where your heart is, the treasure will follow. You tracking with me? We are image bearers of a king. And before people encounter who you are and the Jesus that lives in you, they're going to encounter you first. What image do we have? Are we bearing an image of the king? We were created in his likeness in Genesis chapter 1. And we have been called. We have been called to image bear him. 
follow him, put our hearts with him, trust him with everything that we have and allow him to do what he needs to do. And it's in that surrender that you and I will find fulfillment and enjoyment in the resources that God has given us. Do you feel tense? Or do you feel like we can walk out of here with a water pistol taken on hell? Because we bear the image of our, our Savior. So Jesus, I thank you today for who you are. We oftentimes hear sermons on money. We get so uptight. We think we, we just heard it preached from a worldly perspective. But God, you called us to so much more. I just pray that we would take every resource that we have and just invest it in the kingdom. Just finding out what you want us to do. Finding a need and just pushing it. Pushing our resources to that area to serve you. To fill the kingdom with people. To help make room for people at the table. And We make room at the table just by being a bearer of your image of who you are. Even though it may be flawed at times of our representations of you, I just pray that people would still see Jesus in us. So in these moments, we're going to stand, we're going to sing and worship you. And I pray your Holy Spirit would just give us action steps that we need to take in this moment. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.